Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make your move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create those products that customers love. And more and more product managers and innovators are bumping into this thing called IoT, Internet of Things. Not exactly new, but it is becoming more of our future roadmaps or even maybe current roadmaps. And I'm seeing a convergence of product forms. In the past, we may have categorized products as being digital, physical, or a service. Or, you know, some other groupings, but those were kind of three that often stood out. Now, it's more common to see all three categories associated with one product. Many physical products have a service dimension, and many physical products are starting to integrate an IoT-type capability, if not now, very likely in the future. Further, more of you everyday innovators have been asking me to bring on an IoT product expert, which is why Daniel Elisaldi is joining us. Daniel is an IoT product coach who helps product teams develop an IoT product strategy. He has over 18 years of experience in managing the life cycle of IoT products across several industries, really deep experience. He has also trained numerous product professionals through his workshops, online courses, and also his popular course at Stanford University. In the discussion we cover what is and is not IoT, challenges with IoT products, the IoT technology stack, and importantly, six decision areas for product managers involved with IoT products. Now, if you've listened before, you know that I take notes for you as we talk. And you can find all those notes for this episode at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 227. That's a really good way to find a summary and to go back and see if there's anything that you wanted to dive into deeper. And also share this with others. I really appreciate it when you are sharing this. Now, let's go talk to Daniel. Daniel, thank you for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thank you, Chad, for having me. I'm really glad to be here today. I'm glad you're here, too, because you are addressing a topic I know little about, the Internet of Thing products, and a topic that listeners have asked about, too. Uh, and if we're not dealing with IoT-type products now, likely we may be sometime in the future. It's becoming more prevalent, and you know an awful lot about this space. How did you get involved developing IoT products? My story is kind of interesting from, from that regards because I like to say that I've been working on IoT for about 20 years way before IoT was cool, way before we called it IoT. We call it, you know, industrial automation. We call it M2M. We call it telemetry. We call it mm -hmm. now IoT. But it, it's this idea of devices, physical devices that have sensors and connect via some networking to a centralized location to provide some value. Right? And so throughout my career, I started working at an industrial automation firm in the consulting department's uh, company called National Instruments. And I was um, helping develop uh, manufacturing systems that happened to have all these characteristics. They had sensors, they had data collection, they had networking, they had storage. So I was very involved from the very beginning in that space. And uh, for me, that was just what technology was. And th throughout my career, I've had a variety of roles from uh, single contributor to developer roles, engineering roles, and more recently, product management and some executive roles, all related to uh, products that connect to the internet. Um, my previous corporate job, I was actually head of products of a company called STEM that we were doing uh, energy storage systems connected to the internet 
to help the smart grid with integration of renewable assets. So fascinating technology. And again, it's all Internet of Things. Um, and then as so of a couple of years ago, I work as a consultant helping IoT companies uh, develop their strategy. Or I would say companies develop their IoT strategy. Because as you say, many companies are realizing that there's a lot of potential in connecting sensors to the internet. And so they're trying to figure out how to monetize it. So I've developed you know, frameworks and tool sets that we'll talk about. And I also teach at Stanford University. I teach IoT products management and strategy. Um, and I've trained over 1,200 professionals around the world. So it's been a really interesting, interesting ride for me. And, and I'm very passionate about it. And I can tell you more about why. Excellent. And for those of us that are unable to get to the, your Stanford course, this is a great time to talk to the professor directly and get your insights from this. You talked about that long history with connecting technology to networks, which does make me also think about what kind of falls into the bucket today that we call IoT. Can you kind of describe what is and is not in that bucket? Yeah, for sure. So there's a there's a couple of things that uh, I like to think about uh, from a um, uh, building blocks perspective, the way I like to think about it is through this concept that I call the IoT technology stack, which mm. is this five building blocks that every IoT application has. And so the five building blocks are the device hardware. That's where your sensors are and where your computing power is at the edge. Then you have some device software, some embedded software that runs inside that hardware. Then you have some communications mechanism, like networking, wired or wireless to take it to a centralized place, which is usually a cloud platform, which is the fourth element. And then the fifth element is the cloud applications that sit on top of that. And so with this conceptual model, you can see that a lot of different things fall in this category, right? Like if you have a, uh, a light bulb that can be controlled through your phone, well, it falls under all these categories, right? The, the, the light bulb has device hardware, has embedded software, connects to a network, connects to a platform, and has a mobile app. So the thing that I want to, to emphasize is that although many applications have this stack, um, I think there's a lot of miscategorization about the value and the power of IoT because a lot of people think of IoT as the home automation, right? The coffee maker, the refrigerator, the, the toaster. And that's just scratching the tip of the iceberg. Yes, it's an IoT product based on this definition, but the value of IoT comes, I believe, more in the industrial side. So if you think about autonomous vehicles, if you think about predictive maintenance on manufacturing, if you think about tracking supply chain logistics around the world, if you think about uh, integrating renewable assets into the smart grid like solar, energy storage, wind, if you think about um, improving the yields of farmers by understanding the layout on the ground based on sensors, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's where the power of the Internet of Things really comes into play. And it's the same exact technology that one can use to connect a wind turbine to the smart grid and control it versus connecting a smart toaster to control it through your phone. Right? So I want to make that distinction that even though it's the same, the real power of IoT is more on the industrial side. And that's where we're seeing the growth and that's a lot of the work that I do is in the industrial side. But I must tell you, I'm still really looking forward to being able to tell my Alexa to turn off the microwave because I put too much time on it and I hear it needs to get turned off. So even those little things will help me a lot. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. And uh, yeah, I, I'm 
you know, have friends in a lot of the, the leading IoT companies and we talk about and we make fun of how we're building this super advanced technology and yet we can't have, you know, a, a phone conversation without it breaking up. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hear me? Right, so right. it's... Yeah, yeah. Some things are still hindering us along the way. Of course. Okay, so that's helpful. So thinking about that IoT technology stack, you went through, we must have device hardware, device software, communications, cloud platform, cloud applications, that that kind of brings together an, an IoT device. Correct. Okay, so that's a good framework for us to have. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery, or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher-performing product team, meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM Experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. This is the system created by Chad, based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. I'm wondering, as you have gotten into working more with IoT products, you know, you've started creating tools specifically for that. You teach the course at Stanford on this for sure. So there's some things that obviously look different than other product management we might do. Just what are some of the big challenges that you see with people developing IoT products, so things that we run into that we should be aware of? Yeah, that's a great, that's a good question. And, and um, I've been fortunate to to have worked with many, many companies as my clients and my students. And I develop a set of patterns that I see over and over again. It doesn't matter if it's a big company, a small company, um, consumer products, industrial products. Um, some of the problems that I see out there are just pure product management problems of do we understand the customer need? Do we really have a business case? Some of the typical things. Um, but where I see more of the challenges that are IoT specific have to do with the complexity of the IoT stack. And what I mean by that is that um, IoT products are really a system. It's not just a product. And so if you think about these five components that I mentioned of the stack, device hardware, device software, communications, et cetera, Mm -hmm. each one of those has a lot of complexity. And so companies might be very skilled at understanding how to manage hardware. And they are good at that, but then when they they try to put something together that has to do with networking or has to do with cloud software, the, the things start to break up. Uh, companies that are really good at just doing software in the cloud and all of a sudden have to deal with the challenges of not only building hardware, but deploying, provisioning, and maintaining hardware in the field. That's where things start to break up. So it's not that there's any magic component that makes IoT harder, is that it is the challenges that you have an individual element of a stack compounded because now you have to deal with all of those at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing that makes it challenging is that for companies, especially traditional manufacturers of physical devices, uh, either for the home, for buildings, for manufacturing, either you know transportation, planes and cars, they're usually uh, 
accustomed to selling something, sending it out in the field, and the transaction is done. Now, with IoT, they have a 24-7 connectivity to their product that's streaming data back to them. And so that opens a lot of challenges operationally in terms of cost. And it also opens the opportunity for a lot of new business models to create assets as a service, to create service contracts, maintenance contracts, etc. So a lot of companies are not um, equipped to deal with the ramifications of going with an IoT product, which is way more than just adding sensors, right? So how do you monetize it? How do you maintain it? How do you secure it, which is a huge part of the challenges? Mm-hmm. So I think that what makes it difficult is all the different components. And the other thing is that as technology advances, this is not a passing trend. More and more and more companies are adopting this type of technology. And so for innovators, we have to know how to deal with the complexity that the future lies, right? Because, for example, everything fits in within this scheme. We talk a lot about, let's say, blockchain, or we talk about artificial intelligence or machine learning. Well, those are just components in the stack, right? So you have the same stack that acquires data. How do you process data? Through artificial intelligence. So it's just one building block, right? And so all of a sudden, complexity grows, 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 grows. There was a lot mentioned there. Yes, I tell you. You need to stop me that a little bit if uh, if I no, need to no, slow no, down. The, I get too excited. This is excellent. So, with that part of that complexity in your IoT stack, each one of those levels, there's lots of different choices to be made. That pulls in you know different disciplines, different skill sets that are needed, and that's all evolving at the same time too, which creates new complications, right? I had a friend who co-founded a startup maybe eight years ago now, and he was looking at a way to remotely monitor equipment that had compressors on them. So primarily heating, ventilation type systems, coolers inside, you know, restaurants and the things. Because through the vibration analysis, you could actually predict when they were likely to fail. And now I would expect some systems, you know, coming with that built in. But when you talk about the 24-7 monitoring capability... That came to my mind. I never thought about his thing as an IoT device, but it actually fits your stack, right? And, and if I may add, Chad, I think that's a really interesting uh, realization. I have a lot of people that I work with that say, after walking them through this, this framework, say, hey, I didn't know that I was working in IoT. And so and, and the, my goal there is not just to say, oh, you're working in IoT because it's cool, but by giving um, what we're doing a name, Mm-hmm. And then we can have some sort of frameworks to point at and to communicate and to create a shared vocabulary around the right. company. Then we can get our vision through, right? So that's why I I, uh, I think it's important not just to say, hey, I'm an IoT guy. Oh, it's hugely valuable, right? I don't know what your experience was coming to product management, right? Mine was I didn't know this discipline existed for 10 years. I was mm-hmm. a project manager. <laughs> and when I found out my path was through a professional organization, the Product Development and Management Association, you know, now in 2019, they've been around for 41, 42 years. And so when I discovered them, you know, they weren't new at that point, right? And that just helped so much knowing that there was an actual discipline and I could now find resources because I knew what I was in, right? And the same is certainly true. There's IoT conferences to be had. There's your wealth of information Giving it a name is important because now we know we can talk to other people in the same field and learn from each other. So, mm-hmm. Very important. I agree. Okay. The product management challenges don't go away. We still have the normal, want to solve a customer problem, need to add value to the customer. But the complexity in that stack really changes things because 
as an organization, like you said, we might be good at hardware, we might be good at software, but now we're adding in new skills we have to be aware of, or somehow we have to acquire those skills. And then the relationships between those become big deals. You know, now eight years later, I don't know where this would be. I remember my friend talking about, you know, finally choosing a carrier platform that proved to be, you know, more reliable, finally choosing a radio platform, you know, these different things they had to go through and they just struggled to find ones that worked well in the environments that they were in, you know, simple things that you would run into because it's new. Okay. So with this stack, there's a lot of decisions that come up along the way. The ones I just talked about are, I'm sure, the top of the iceberg here, just, you know, what skills do we need? What are we going to pick? And you also have a decision-making framework. You call it your IoT framework for product managers. Mm -hmm. And in there, you lay out six decision areas. That's user experience, data, business, technology, security, standards, and regulations. I'd like to walk through that framework with you, just to understand each of those better and how they impact this technology stack. Yeah, thank you. I would love to, to share that with you. So um, the IoT decision framework is, is what I use to, to teach in all my classes and to work with my clients. And so the, as you mentioned, it has uh, two parts. And in, we can add a, a, a link in, in your show notes where mm-hmm. people can see the diagram. Sure. Makes it easier. So the two parts, if you think about it as a matrix for people that are just listening to it, um, on the horizontal axis, we have the IoT technology stack. So we have these five components that I just mentioned, right? Device hardware, device software, communications, cloud platforms, and cloud applications. And then on the vertical axis, we have the decision areas. And as you mentioned, they are UX, data, business, technology, security, and standards and regulations. And so my thinking is that you have to make decisions at all these areas, and this becomes a matrix that you have to make sure that you think about all the possibilities and the ramifications across the stack and across the decision areas. So let me walk you through each of the decision areas to explain what they are. And, and they are in order, and I, I'll, I'll tell you why. So the first one is the UX area. And what I mean by that is the discipline of UX, meaning understanding your users and understanding their needs. And so the idea with the decision framework is that we have to ask that question across the IoT technology stack. For example, who are my users at the device hardware level and what are their needs? Who are my users at the device software level and what are their needs? Who are the users at the communications layer and what are their needs, et cetera? And this is important because uh, particularly in industrial products, the person, let's say we're talking about a... uh, uh, predictive maintenance on a turbine okay. in a manufacturing facility. Well, the person that's going to install that hardware is going to be different than the person that's going to fine-tune it in the device software. It's going to be very different than the operator that's looking at the data in the cloud, and it's going to be very different than the manager that is looking at the reports on their iPad. And so as innovators and product leaders, we have to understand all those so that we can prioritize who gets the benefit when, because well, we, we have limited amount of resources to devote to building product for all these areas. And so we always start with the customer need by walking the IoT decision um, stack, sorry, the IoT decision framework on the UX area. So once we understand our users and their needs, we can actually move to the data decision area. And the question that we're asking here is, what data needs to be collected at each layer of the stack? So, for example, what data needs to be acquired at the device hardware level? And that's going to inform the sensors we need, the processing power, et cetera. What data needs to be processed at the edge, meaning the device software 
what's going to be its capabilities. What data needs to be transmitted through the networking channels, how much, how often, what data needs to be stored in the cloud and made available in the cloud, and what data are we going to display in the cloud applications. Once we have that, then we can go into the business decision area. And here we're asking three questions. How are we going to monetize our solution? What are the cost implications of managing the solution? And what's our build versus buy strategy? And so you do the same thing, right? You walk the IoT technology stack saying, how am I going to monetize the end-to-end solution? Or how am I going to monetize the device hardware, the device software, the device, uh, sorry, communications? Mm -hmm. For example, you can say, I'm going to give the hardware for free, but I'm going to charge a subscription in the APIs, and then I'm going to charge for access to the apps, those kind of things. The build versus buy is extremely important because I can say no company can actually build the end-to-end stack by themselves. This is an ecosystem play. And so you have to understand as an innovator, as as a company, what are your strengths? If your strengths is in artificial intelligence and algorithms, well, focus on that and find the right partners at the device hardware, at the device software, at the communications level, et cetera. Years ago, right, three, four years ago, companies would tackle everything. And we saw billions of dollars in losses because it's it's too much. No single company can tackle it all, right? Uh, so that's why it's important to analyze that through a framework. Makes sense. So now that we have the business model and are those decisions, we can move to the technology. So notice that the technology is the fourth in line. Because the, the way I see it is once we understand our users, the data that flows through the system and our business model, we can think about what technology we can use to build that solution. Right. And we can ask the same thing, right? What technology do we need at the device hardware, device software, communications, cloud, et cetera? Yeah. Based on how often we need to collect data, how much data there is, how much data we're transmitting. Exactly. Right? These all impact technology. Exactly. And then we move to the next decision area, which is security. So once we know the technology that we're going to use, we need to think about how are we going to secure our system end-to-end, but also what are the risks and challenges at the device hardware level, device software, communications, et cetera. And last but not least is standards and regulations. Most of the B2B type applications um, are going to be deployed in, in areas where you have regulation, right? For example, if you come from the energy industry like myself, you know, energy is very regulated. So when you deploy something that's going to connect to the grid, you're going to have regulations at the hardware level, at the embedded level, at the communications level, at the apps level. So as an innovator, you need to understand all those things. And, and so once you go through the framework fairly quickly, which you can go through your with it through with your team fairly quickly, the next step is really to go back and iterate. Because the decisions that you make across the framework will impact the previous areas. So, for example, if you decide that for your um, turbine predictive maintenance solution, the best possible UX for the user is virtual reality goggles, then you can carry that forward in the, in the framework. And you can say, when you get to the business area, you can say, you know what, that is going to be too expensive. Or when you get to the technology area, you can say, you know, the technology is not there or it has security holes. And so that will adjust. And so after you go about it a couple of times, you get to like a steady state Mm -hmm. where your decisions are consistent with each other. And you can actually uh, say that you've thought through the different areas and you can have a cohesive strategy. Right. Because this framework doesn't give you the answers. It really gives you the holes and the gaps that you need to focus on. Right. Right. 
Yeah, so you laid out the steps that we do this in, going from UX to data to business to technology, security, standards, and regulations. But it's definitely an iterative process to make sure we have alignment between those. And I like the example you gave, we, we might get down to business and say, wow, we have what we thought will make a really great user experience, but maybe we're collecting too much data, it's not business feasible. Maybe we created sensor systems, IO systems that aren't business feasible, and we go back and try to align things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and you know, what's interesting that I found is that many companies that I talk to want to jump directly into technology or security. Mm-hmm. There are the, the, the sexier aspects of things. But I can tell you that 90% of the companies that I talk to cannot get past the UX portion hmm. because they didn't know that they need to understand the users and their needs across the stack. Right. So they're like, oh, we don't really know who we are serving here. Well, that should be the next step and you shouldn't go to the next area. Right. right. So the fundamental product management issues have not disappeared. <laughs> not disappeared. And, and I want to layer another part here, if, uh, if I may. I know this is, this is very complex, but that's just the reality. Um, this framework, you can use it both when you are thinking about your development strategy and also your deployment strategy. Because when you are developing something, you need to figure out what you're going to build and you can use this framework to realize that. But then once your device is out in the field and it needs to be installed and provisioned and maintained mm-hmm. and updated, then you can use this framework as well to say, okay, how am I, what data do I need in order to make sure that I can provision it remotely? Or who is actually going to do that maintenance? Oh, it's going to be a technician from a third-party company. Okay, what experience do they need? How am I going to monetize that into my model? Right? So understanding end-to-end the life cycle of an IoT product with all these components helps you get the big picture and see, okay, well, we got some work ahead of us. Yeah. When I asked you about challenges before, you talked about you know some of the companies aren't prepared really for the added levels of business service that this can bring about. And there is that expectation that if I now have a device that's connected 24 by 7, I may be thinking someone is monitoring this. They could give me insights into the future. They might remind me that maintenance is due. And if that doesn't happen, I might blame them for you know not alerting me to these things. And that also creates new opportunities for service for the companies, right? And service contracts. For sure. And I, that's really interesting to mention that because one of the pitfalls and the challenges that I see out there is that Oftentimes, what companies realize is that building an IoT product, it's a gateway to providing a service because really the value Mm -hmm. for the customer is, let's say, on the maintenance of the device. And so you're adding the smarts to the turbine and the customer doesn't care about those smarts. They care about the outcome. And so some companies have a hard time making that transition to say, hey, we were a product company. All of a sudden, our value is in providing the service. And we don't have a services arm. Hmm. So that's why doing this analysis quickly says, hey, you know, if we really want to do this, then we're going to need the ability to provide the services and the maintenance. And we can outsource that. We can figure out all of these things, right? right? But what I see is that companies kind of don't think about the whole picture and then they stumble to every challenge as they go until they run out of money. Yeah. Having this picture in place from the beginning is really helpful. Just know what the pieces are. And then the decisions make along the way. I was curious about the last two, when you talk about security and standards and regulations, just where are we with in terms of maturity in those areas? I don't even know how to ask that question better than that. So <laughs> where are we with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, excellent question, right? And that's why I added security as a decision area, because I want people to think about it early on in their design. Mm-hmm. And so 
I, I'm going to answer that in, in two parts. One is where are we from a, a understanding of the importance of security? Okay. And then where are we a, about actually securing things? So I think many companies realize that they need to secure something, but they don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to measure that. They don't have the processes and the um, personnel and the skills to do it. And they all, there's also still this... Um, conflict, especially in the C-suite, of saying security is expensive, security is going to slow us down, we don't have time for it. So it's always sent to the back. So my strong advice to to product managers and innovators is security needs to be uh, top of mind. It needs to be functionality that it's baked into your roadmap, needs to be part of your culture. You need to have the right training. So that's where we are there. We are starting to understand that we need to do it and that having security is as critical in an agile team as would be UX or QA, right? We don't question that we need a QA engineer in our team, but why do we always push back having a security engineer in our team? Hmm. Okay. So that's where we are uh, philosophically. We're making progress, right? Um, there's some great uh, resources out there. Um, uh, the internet, the Industrial Internet Consortium actually just put out a maturity model for security for companies to see where they are in their practices and their implementation. So we're making a lot of progress, right? Um, on the technology side, the the technology is getting much better because the, the vendors providing a lot of these components are getting better. So the companies creating the device hardware are building security into it, right? Companies like ARM, Intel, even Microsoft just delivered a, a new uh, Microsoft chip called Sphere focused on security. The operating systems are getting better. The communication channels are getting better. The cloud platforms, if you go with one of the um, leaders in the market, mm-hmm. like would be Azure IoT or AWS IoT or uh, PTC, those kind of companies, they have robust security. The challenge is because it's a big ecosystem, when you put it together, a lot of things fall through the cracks. Right. So each piece might be secure by itself, but the whole is not. And that's where having a strong practice of testing, penetration testing, validation is super important. And companies are struggling with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just takes time and money. Yep. Okay. And for standards and regulations, you know, there's always the traditional things we might bump into, like if we're in the energy space or something pharmaceuticals, who knows what, what we might run into. But are there emerging standards and regulations specifically for IoT? Um there are um, a lot of standards from a technology perspective, like a lower level technology. Yeah. There's reference architectures and they say most IoT solutions should use this particular standard, et cetera. When you get to the communication layer, there's actually um, a lot of different standards. And depending on your application, you know, you can use anywhere from 4G or 5G that's coming, or you can use Wi-Fi and you can mm-hmm. use LoRa. Those kind of things are standardized it's just that there's a lot of choices right so that helps but not really um uh in terms of regulation yes each industry has their regulations for products as a whole um actually uh, congress is starting to pass or trying to pass a bill for an iot security bill so mm-hmm. that would be kind of like the first one we're seeing in in the in the space and tells you how important security is right so I think regulations is more about the, the specifics of each industry and each market. But what I would advise innovators and, and product managers 
and leaders is that regulations apply to your whole product, but also to each component. When you deploy a system, well, the hardware might have its own regulations and the data that flows through the wire has its own regulations and the apps have their own regulations. So just just think broadly. Uh Um, And that itself might be a reason to look back in the iteration of the decision framework and say, you know what, we're going to change the business model to accommodate the expenses of regulatory uh, ruling or we have to change the UX because we need an inspector to come and do an audit of our device before Mm -hmm. it goes live. So we need to make it super easy for them to check the box so we Mm -hmm. can actually start providing value to our customer. And so all of those are very important decisions that you need to have in mind. And that's a new customer that might come up and analyzing the stack, right? The regulator. Some people that I talk to and some of my my students sometimes make fun of me because it's like, you keep adding challenges and personas to do our (laughs) job. And it's like, Better hear it from me than when you discover them in the field. Right, right. right. And some of those discoveries will have big ramifications. You know, it's very likely when I buy a a new car in the future, my car will be an IoT device. They already are. And Yeah, exactly, right? And I remember a security conference that was now maybe 10 years ago. And at that conference, it had the remote, remote device for starting the car and doing different things. Right, production vehicle. And then they showed how it could be taken over to uh, apply the brakes while the car's in motion to kill the engine while the car's in motion to things that you don't want someone doing. <laughs> yes. And I think that's a, that's a fantastic point that you touch, uh, Chad, because that needs to be particularly uh, of, of focus of, of, of product people, not only because of the impact it can have in hurting lives, which is the, the core responsibility that we would have. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this interaction with the real world can, can actually cause harm. But also because more and more consumers are wary about Internet of Things, mm-hmm. whether it's consumer IoT or industrial, because of security. Yeah, safety and privacy. Right? And privacy. And so we need to make sure that we alleviate those concerns as much as possible mm-hmm. because nothing else matters, right? If you're, if, if let's say that you're, you are able to make your product safe and secure as much as possible, but then the, the public doesn't trust you that you're doing it, then it doesn't matter, right? So a big part of success of this type of companies of where we are today is on uh, easing the, the consumers' minds that they are going to be secure, right? And, mm-hmm. and you can imagine when a plant manager is going to install a new automation system on the production line and has a risk to be hacked and bringing down the plant, you don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. So it's a big thing that we need to make sure we embrace yeah. more than non-IoT products where you can get away by focusing just on the front-end UX or other aspects, mm-hmm. and, and, and you can still get the trust. Yeah, good. I appreciate you taking us through both of those tools, your IoT stack and the IoT framework. I'll make sure there are links in the show notes so people can get their hands on that. And I know you've written some blog articles going into more detail on each of those. Really helpful tools for us. I love a good innovation quote. I uh, always ask guests for one. What do you have for us? Yeah, good. I mean, me being a, an energy uh, fanatic here, uh, mine comes from Thomas Edison, and that is genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for me because living, going into this space, IoT, and living here in Silicon Valley, 
know, ideas are a dime a dozen, but it's really the execution of those ideas, how you carry them through throughout their whole life cycle that really provides what looks like a spark of genius. But yeah, the idea might be good, but executed properly is what brings you the genius aspect of it. Right. And it is true. Without the execution, ideas are merely a dime a dozen. No one knows if it's going to be a good idea until it actually gets into someone's hands and it creates value for them. So. Yeah. And the idea might evolve and mm-hmm. once you validate it more, and, and that's, that's great, right? Because yep. the ultimate... That's reality. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that matters is providing value. The idea itself, it's pointless, right? Good. Thank you for that quote. And thank you for the information on Internet of Things and the stack and the framework. For people that want to get their hands on more resources from you, like to talk to you specifically about projects they might be involved in, how can you make that happen for us? Uh, thank you, Chad. Yeah, thank you again for the opportunity. This is this is fantastic yeah. conversation. Um, there's a lot of material I have on my website. Uh, it's just danielelisalde.com. And uh, they can have uh, access to my articles. I have a podcast, uh, IoT Product Leadership, where I interview executives in the IoT world. Um, and then I also have links there to my online course, the IoT Product Management Certificate Program, and my classes at Stanford. Um, the uh, the podcast is called IoT Product Leadership, and the website is iotproductleadership.com, which leads you to my site. And that might be easier to remember to versus spelling my name, which is a weird spelling. So iotproductleadership.com will take you okay. there. iotproductleadership.com. Excellent. Daniel, thank you for your time and thank you for the information you shared. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Chad. Really enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you can create those products that customers love. That was a great discussion with Daniel. Shared really deep information about IoT and how we can create a product strategy around IoT. Find the written notes of that discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 227 keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.